Welcome to the Truth Be Known podcast, bringing you the objective truth boldly, candidly, and without apology. Welcome to this week's episode. Well, welcome back to another episode of the Truth Be Known podcast. I'm your host, Nathaniel Jolly, and again, by popular demand, we have Eki Tepsa Pornchai with us. Welcome back, Eki. I am really getting accustomed and enjoying seeing you on the show here. I am enjoying this as well, and thank you for having me on. And and I, I certainly, I think our dialogue flows pretty easily and smoothly. I think we share a lot of the same core beliefs, and so it makes it a lot easier to interact on these topics. But it sounds like we've got an exciting one lined up today. Yeah, well, we we might have a little bias that we share with Master Seminary, and uh, so plug for the seminary. If you want your kids to get a great education, send them to Master's University, and if you want to go to ministry, um, Master Seminary, I think there is no better place. So that was all for free. They didn't pay me to say that, uh, but anyway. <laughs> So yeah, today we're going to cover it, it, we're going to cover a topic that we're we're really just going to touch the tip of the iceberg and that is of God's sovereignty. It's a big topic. Yeah. Um I, I, you know, I Eki as I've kind of looked back over the last year or so, um it, I don't think I've discovered any new issues or battles so much that the church has been dealing with, but I think they've been brought to the forefront uh, in in huge ways. And I think in our current situation, post-election, one of the things that I am seeing, at least playing out practically in people's lives, is what I, what I consider a lack of understanding of the sovereignty of God and how that functions and works uh, in our lives. Yeah, I, I would say that's especially true with the election outcome. There were many of us that were very hopeful that uh, Donald Trump would win that election because we believe that that platform was much more friendly, much more supportive to the core values that we think are important when it comes to politics. But yeah, I'm with you with the election results going the other way. And by the way, that proved a lot of profits wrong, right? There were so many profits that were in fact, every prophet that I had heard from, all of them were saying that Trump is going to get reelected. I don't think I ever heard from any prophet that said Biden would win. So that just goes to show you that today's prophets do not operate like the Old Testament prophets, right? Um, but as a result, yeah, I, I agree. Uh, I think a lot of people within the church have been challenged with regards to anxiety and worry about what's coming. And we've already seen in the first few weeks just what is going to happen with this administration with all these executive orders. You know, it's almost like they're doing everything they said they would do in that 92-page document that uh, they put out that I covered on an earlier podcast. So, no one should be surprised. Um, and uh, a topic for another day will be how Christians could uh, join themselves with that after they put that document out. But that's a rabbit hole we, we won't go down this episode. Hmm. Um, well, it, you know, Eki, why don't you give us a kind of a working definition of sovereignty? Because in a day and age where words are almost meaningless in some sense, because it seems like you know, definitions change depending on who you're talking to. Um, why, why don't you give us a, help us understand what we're talking about when we talk about the sovereignty of God? Yeah, that's that's a great starting point. And when I think of sovereignty, I often tell my own church that really I would break it out into two dimensions. One, that God is the highest in authority. 
You know, so we understand that even in lands where there are kings, where there are rulers, that is the person who is the highest in authority. But there is no point in saying someone is an authority if they have no control over what's happening. Mm. So we would not only say that God is the highest in authority, but he is also in total control. And when we say God, we're talking about the triune God, and especially God the Father and Jesus Christ um, sitting at his right hand, that he is He has all authoritative, he has total control, in fact, just before giving the Great Commission, what was it that he told the disciples? That all authority in earth and in heaven has been given to me. So I would just say it's the it's both authority as well as control. And when we get into the control aspect, the control is so absolute that it includes all what all, all of what we would deem as evil in the world. Yeah. Yeah, that that's a great definition. Thank you for that. It it is often, I think, um, yeah, it I think it's probably one of the most misunderstood uh, of the attributes of God and how that plays out and works out. And we confuse categories, right? We confuse things that happen, results of different things with uh, God's attribute in and of itself because we don't understand how they function in this world. I like that definition. Um, I, you know, we recently uh, in in the Bible study we're doing for for our guys, we're going through the attributes of God actually, and so we just covered sovereignty in in very brief. And one of the things that I said that I like to say is that when we talk about God's sovereignty in just very simple terms, and it's similar to what you said, it's God's sovereignty is his right and power to exercise and do all that he decides to do. Um, right. You know, it, it doesn't mean he does things the way I want them to do. And right. Right. And, and yet that is oftentimes how human beings define God's sovereignty. They define God. Uh, they, they decide whether or not God is sovereign based on uh, if what they want to happen is happening. So this election um, we get things like, yeah, people are afraid. They're not sure what's going on. And the reason they're not is because, well, if God was in control, how on earth could um, someone like Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, how could this kind of administration be put in power if God is in control? And R.C. Sproul would correct me right there instantly and say, uh, since God's in control rather than if. Um, but let, let's just talk about that. I want to get down to kind of the brass tacks and application a little bit um, just for folks with some real life examples. I, for me, and, and I want you to speak to this uh, as well, I think there is no greater, um, there's no greater doctrine that provides peace for the Christian than understanding that God is sovereign, Amen and amen. Yeah, sovereignty, the sovereignty of God is the pillow that I rest my head upon, no matter what the situation is, no matter what circumstances we're in. And you brought up a good point. So many people will question God's sovereignty because the circumstances are not the way they think it should be. And there are presumptions in that. The presumption in that is that we know what is better or what is best for mm -hmm. any given situation. Other aside from God, which is <clears throat> why you go through the attributes of God. One of the attributes is not only that he is sovereign, but also that he is omniscient, right? And on top of that, he is good. So, you know that God knows all things. He knows much better than we do. And if we recognize that he is omniscient, if we recognize that he is good, and we recognize that he is in full control, then we want to be able to trust his purposes more than our own. And so, yeah, I'm 
going through a study of the Old Testament with my church, um, it's a series called The Covenants Point to Christ, and we've been covering the book of Exodus um, over the last few weeks. And what do you see there in the first couple of chapters in Exodus that God is in control of growing the nation of Israel according to the Abrahamic covenant, even in the face of persecution? And when the persecution gets hot, uh, that's when God raises up his deliverer. And where does he raise up his deliverer, Moses? He raises him up in the very household of Pharaoh, who actually is trying to kill off all the, all the born sons of Israel. He makes the exception for the one man whom God would use. And so all of that is to say that God is in total control. Joseph is another one. At the end of Genesis, we see that story that you know, those circumstances, if you're there, if you're Joseph going through those circumstances, you don't understand the goodness of God. And Moses, how, how long did it take before he finally got the, the fact that God is in control and that he is the one that's orchestrating all this? Because as we're going through these chapters, we see that Moses, he had the instant at the burning bush where he questioned God. He said, hey, send someone else. I'm not eloquent, this and that. He tried to put up all the obstacles he could. Finally, God sent him in. He actually performed signs and wonders first to the Israelites, to Aaron and then the Israelites. Uh, but then when they went to Pharaoh and Pharaoh rejected their request, suddenly Moses turns into a coward again. And he's saying, God, you haven't done anything according to what you have promised. So he's not trusting in God's timing and, and promises. And that's, that's our temptation as well. Mm. And we have to remember that we're in a world that is sinful. We're in a world of evil. And yet we take total, total comfort in the sovereignty of God, knowing that no matter what evil is around us, just from reading the Bible, we're reminded that God is taking that evil, and that evil has no choice but to fulfill God's good purposes. Yeah, and we would add, like the Apostle Paul, does that mean, you know, we attribute evil to God? Absolutely not, um, right? And and it's important to, when we talk about God's sovereignty, I think it— uh, often, one of the questions that I often get, both from unbelievers and believers, is is a pushback with something that sounds kind of like this. Well, does that mean we're all robots? You know, right. um, and it, that's just a fundamental misunderstanding of what we mean when we say sovereign. Um, God's sovereignty gives Him the absolute ability to override your human will, but that is not what He generally does. Um, case in point, Pharaoh, right? Pharaoh hardened his heart, we're told, but then God also hardened Pharaoh's heart. And in that moment, there was nothing that Pharaoh could do to stop God from doing what he wanted to do in that instance. He couldn't fight against it. He couldn't, um, you know, he, he could not halt or in, in any way minimize what God was wanting to do in that. And so, we see little glimpses of how God intervenes throughout, throughout history in unusual ways, right? Ways that are not his normative what we see as being normative and and yet those things we can look at and see and see just little glimpses in time where um where where we might think we have more control than god we can go to scripture and find out in all those areas we really don't job is another one i yes. love i love 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 the book of job for so many reasons um one reason is just god's love and grace that you find in job and a lot of people may think wait what love and grace uh go read it and look for it it's all over but another thing is i i think the book of job is one of the clearest from from the highest level you could see 
right, uh, of God's sovereignty, because we, we have a conversation. And let me just jump in and we can talk about that a little bit because I, I think it's pertinent. Um, it, if there's anything in someone that's unsure of the fact that God is in control of what happens here, that Satan is not God's opposite equal. Satan is a creation, right? And no creation is greater than the creator. And uh, so in the, in, the bing, in the beginning of Job chapter one, chapter two, Satan comes to the heavens um, and before God, right? So, and, and, Satan, and God says, Satan, where have you been? And he says, well, I've, I've been wandering around looking to and fro. Um, uh, by the way, just that one instance eliminates the charismatic teaching of evil can't be in the presence of something holy uh, because, that, I mean, Satan, you can't get any more evil. And yet he's standing in God's presence because it was allowed. But, but God does something amazing and mind-blowing for um, us finite creatures. He says, hey, Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Um, and of course, I'm reading that and I'm like, oh, goodness, I, I don't know if I want my name to come up in that necessarily. And uh, Joe and, you know, Satan's response is, well, of course, Job worships you. You have blessed him, put a hedge of protection around him. You have done all these things. Right. Um, and God says, OK, well, you know, um, his yeah, you can do what you want, but you can't touch his health. You can't touch his life. And we know, you know, we know the story, but that plays out an exchange between, you know, God and of Satan and Job's caught in the middle. Look, Job didn't get the picture we got. He doesn't know what's going on in the heavens. We have no indication of that, right? All he knows is that one day, you know, he's reclining at table and uh, servants start coming in one right after the other. Uh, the Sabians attacked and they, they destroyed all your livestock. Um, you know, all your servants were put to death except for me. Everything was stolen over here. You know, only I escaped alive. And, you know, kind of the final blow, even his children, right, uh, were destroyed in, in a whirlwind. And so, um, but at every point, Satan has limitations, and those limitations are set by God. And here's really the point I wanted to get to. You, what you don't see sometimes is, is, is as important as what we do see. Satan never fought against God's limitations. Satan never pushed back on those limitations. It was absolute. God said, go this far and no further. And Satan obeyed that uh, absolutely, and it just it gives us a crystal clear picture of just how much in control God really is. Amen. And I love that example, Job, as well, because I do believe that Job was probably the very very first book written in the Bible, right? And probably written by Moses even before he wrote the five books, the the, the Pentateuch. So knowing that Job was the very first book written in the Bible, I think about today and how often people will ask the question, well, if God is good, why does he allow all these things to happen? And they think that that's the ultimate gotcha kind of point. Like mm -hmm. your faith is completely torn apart because you don't have an answer for that question when the fact of the matter is, it's actually in the first two chapters of the very first book written in the Bible, going all the way back to the beginning, and it's right there with this, with this confrontation, or I shouldn't say confrontation, but this encounter between God and Satan. And as you mentioned, Satan is wandering back to, um, back 
to and fro. And what I love, and you mentioned the master's seminary, one of my professors, uh, Dr. Murphy, my Hebrew professor, mm. great guy, and, and I call him the preacher's preacher, and he's going over that passage with us. And the point that he really emphasizes is the fact that, you know what, the reason that God chooses Job for, it's not because of any sins that he has done. It's not because he has done something to deserve what is coming or that, uh, you know, any other reason. It's actually because he is the most righteous man in the world. And for us as pastors, I mean, this was an incredible moment when Dr. Murphy was pointing this out that, you know, sometimes when you suffer, it's not because of what you have done wrong, but it may be because of what you have done right. Hmm. And so, God is actually bringing this suffering upon Job because what is the central challenge? Because Satan is saying that he's going to curse you. And God is proving, no, even if you take all this away from him, he will not curse me. And so, we see the issue of theodicy. Theodicy is really how does, how does God work with evil? And you brought out that central point that obviously people can misunderstand and think, well, that means God um, causes us to sin or he is the tempter of sin. And we know that's not true. But we know that his power is so complete that even evil in this world has no choice but to actually accomplish the very purpose mm -hmm. that they seek to avoid. And so that is the level of God's control. And I think Job does a great job. That book does a great job of outlining it. And you get into all of his friends and all of their, all of their the reasoning and rationale. And it's very much like what the world says. You know, you know why, if God is good, why is he allowing these things to happen? Because if he is good, he wouldn't allow these things to happen. Or if he is allowing these things to happen, it must be because of something that someone did. You know, so they think in terms of immediate cause and effect. And God does not operate the way we operate, not according to our time, not according to our reasons. So, yeah, Job is a powerful, powerful example of that. Yeah, and, you know, brother, just to, I, I think if we, as as the church matures and as believers learn to think logically, as they learn to piece the whole Bible together, um, and and I, I mean, this is why all of us, right, who, who pastor just constantly try to get our people in scripture it's why we adhere to sola scriptura it's you know if you most questions that can be answered um on on these things are are already in scripture and yet i less than 10 percent uh, according to some research studies of american professing professing american christians less than 10 percent 10 percent of those spend any regular time in scripture. So, of course, you're confused if you don't have a habit of reading your Bible regularly. Uh, of, of course, you're not sure how God is involved in these things if you don't know uh, the book of Job, if you don't know. And you don't have to have gone to seminary. These are, you read, you see, you know, we believe in the, the plain reading of scripture. We believe that God generally... Um, you know, gave us a scripture so that the everyday average believer can open it, read it, understand, and get everything they need uh, for faith and life and practice. Um, and it, yeah, and so the book of Job is incredible in that way. You know, I, I, I think I, I want to read a passage. Um, it, I, I want, I want to kind of convince people of God's sovereignty from scripture. Uh, but then I want to talk about some general logical conclusions that we should come to that I think we skip, right? We kind of have some kinks in our synapses, I think, sometimes. Uh, but I like First Chronicles 29, 11 through 12. It says, Yours, O Lord, 
is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty, indeed everything that is in the heavens and the earth. Yours is the dominion, O Lord, and you exalt yourself as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all, and in your hand is power and might, and it lies in your hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. You can't read that and have any doubt that God is not absolutely in every um, way in control. It may leave you with, mis- with not understanding how that works, and that's okay. Yeah, amen to that. Uh, that's such a, a great verse, uh, communicating such a great truth. And the other implication in all of this is that if God is not completely sovereign, if he's not completely in control the way we have defined it, how can we be confident of the ultimate outcome, right? Mm. Um, so, but God has already told us beforehand exactly what's going to happen uh, before the, he declared the end from the beginning, right? And everything that happened that was prophesied leading up to the Christ has already happened. And we know that everything that's going to be, that, that has been prophesied for the future with Christ is going to happen. So no, that, those are great points. And Christians, you need to be in your Bible. You, you may not get all of these profound points when you read through these verses, but the more you read, the more you're mm-hmm. going to dig out of this. And if you're at a good Bible teaching church, where you have a preacher, a pastor who really believes in the sovereignty of God, believes in the inerrancy of Scripture, these passages will become richer and richer to you as a result. Mm-hmm. I was just preaching through the, just the first two chapters of Exodus. It was a few weeks ago. And when we think about those first two chapters. I mentioned it a little bit, but think about this. You know, the new Pharaoh arises. He doesn't know Joseph, right? And he's afflicting the Israelites because he's worried they're going to rise up and and fight against the Egyptians, and then they're going to leave. They're not going to be slaves of the Egyptians anymore. That was his primary purpose for afflicting them. And the more he afflicted them, the more they grew. There was nothing that he could do to thwart God's purposes. But if you're an Israelite at this time, we have the benefit of knowing what God was doing. God was fulfilling his Abrahamic covenant. He had already told Abraham back in Genesis chapter 15 that they would be foreigners in a land that did not belong to them. And so this, this was happening, and, and they were multiplying according to the promise given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob about how they would be a great nation. So we know theologically we can look at that, and we easily come to the conclusion that, yeah, God is being faithful to his promises. What people overlook is that if you're an Israelite at that time, at that time when Pharaoh is coming up with these decrees to kill the new sons of all the Israelites and all that, this is a time of persecution. And not only that, when we think about Moses' life, he's going to live 40 years first in Egypt, and then he's going to live 40 years in Midian, right? And he's going to be shepherding flock on Mount Horeb when he comes uh, across the, um, the, the burning bush. So from the time that Moses was born, and we're looking at Exodus 2 when he sails down the river right into the hands of Pharaoh's daughter, from that time to the time that he actually comes back to deliver the Israelites, we're talking about 80 years. Mm. So most of the people that are experiencing just those first two chapters, they're not seeing anything that they would equate to the goodness of God, and yet we see it very clearly there. And not only that, but we also know that while Moses was spared, there were a lot of infants that were slaughtered, that that were executed, that were, uh, you know, thrown into the river and left for dead. And so we, we remember and we read these passages, and it helps to really enforce God's sovereignty. And when I gave that message, I had 
um, one of our one of our ladies in, in the church, she had been feeling depression and anxiety mm -hmm. from the election results, and she knew God was sovereign. She continued to tell herself that, but she said that message really helped to reinforce mm -hmm. it and helped her to have even greater confidence. And that's the whole idea of knowing the scriptures, being at a church where this is taught, mm -hmm. and why we have to go through it over and over again. And, uh, and you know this, and, and I know this. There isn't a single section of scripture that I can go through without seeing the sovereignty of God. It underlines yeah. everything that we see here. And so the more you see that, the more comfort it's going to give you. Absolutely. And, you know, you you went exactly where I, I wanted to go. It's almost like you read the notes that I don't have. Um, <laughs> so, so I appreciate that because you, you made some logical, very just logical common sense statements at the beginning. And I want to process through a little bit of that. Sometimes I, I think, and and I, I'm no different and you're no different, right? You and I, just because we pastor a church doesn't mean that we don't also have to step back sometimes because we find ourselves a little, you know, where th this is humanity. Uh, we have right. to deal with that. But sometimes if we step back and just contemplate, I, I mean, really meditate for a few moments for a short time on the sovereignty of God, on what that means, it can kind of bring us back to center, Right. Uh, rather than fear and anxiety and those things of the world ruling us, we, we can come back to a place where, where, you know, we understand and we can find that trust and peace in Christ that, that we're supposed to have. We can, you know, we can experience um, God as our strong tower. We can experience Amen. those things, but sometimes we just need to disconnect our, we're a little too connected to worldly stuff uh, at, at times. So, uh, social media is a big one of those things, right? Um, right? Social media, if you let it, can can cause anxiety for you, can frustrate you. Um, and so, sometimes we just need to step back and contemplate on the truths that we know. But, but there are some logical things. If we just thought through what it means that God is sovereign, it would eliminate a lot of this. So, for instance, um, I don't know any professing Christian who would deny that God created the universe that we live in. Um, six literal days, by the way. Uh, I'll just throw that. <laughs> um, amen and amen. So, and and yet we forget what that means. So, are are you are you going to tell me that the God who miraculously out of nothing spoke, right? Ex helio spoke everything into existence that that same God can't control what kind of rulers we have. Right. Right. The, right. the, the God that formed man out of dirt, that that God can't control um, or doesn't have a, a say in what direction America goes in. I mean, the, the, the God that opened up man took a, you know, and, and created Eve from the bone of man, that God can do that, but he, he can't control the direction the nations, you know, turn. And sometimes I think we just, we just don't think very well. Yeah. Uh, I, our generation, the American culture and society penalizes people for thinking. I, I mean, that's just true, right? If, Definitely if, today, yes. It, you know, in today's world, that's just the world we live in. Um, but if we think through these things, the, the conclusion that we have to come to, even if we don't know all of these scriptures, is that, okay, well, if God is sovereign, or since God is sovereign, then he has to be in control. I don't understand how that works, and it's okay to say that, but you should be there. Every yeah. believer should be at that place, right, where Amen. we say, okay, we understand God is sovereign. 
Uh, how does that work with our current administration or abortion laws or homosexuality, whatever? I don't know. And, and guess what? It's really none of our business. Um, God hasn't seen fit to open up his secret counsel to Nathaniel. <laughs> right. And, right. and so, um, I, and I'm okay with that because God is God and I'm not. And, and so if we just think about some of these things reasonably, you know, I mean, think about Israel, right? We all like the stories of, of how God miraculously dealt with Israel. I mean, going back to uh, the Israelites and Pharaoh, I mean, God caused all these plagues. He caused uh, the, the Egyptians to let them go. Then, you know, he was hardened. He chased after them. So God, you know, through Moses, part, I mean, God parts the Red Sea. He saves his people. He drowns the Egyptians. And then he creates bread out of nowhere, right? Manna, just poof. Um, it, it keeps their tents and their clothes from being destroyed over long periods of time. He leads them by a, a, a cloud of fire by you know, fire, a tunnel of fire by night and a cloud by day. I mean, have you ever seen, you know, a whirlwind of fire by night or, or a big cloud by day for years? I- right, right. No, and, and that's, that's exactly right. We see those visions and it, that is clearly the, the work of God because that can't be explained by any means of scientific analysis, right? I mean, yeah. the whole system of, of science is a system of observation, but that's not something we can observe because we can't reproduce it. So, it exists outside of science. It is a, the divine hand of God uh, working through all that. And your appeal to God as the creator, I think, is the starting point of really thinking through this. Because when we think about the book of Job, what, what was it that Job wanted? He wanted his day in court. He wanted to be able to stand before God, not to accuse God, but he's trying to figure out what did I do to deserve this? Yeah. Uh, what have I done to warrant this? And finally, when God answers, he actually doesn't even answer the question. He actually appeals to himself as the creator. Where were you, Job, when I did these things? And he just does that over and over again. And what does Job do in response? He says, look, I I was wrong. I should have kept my mouth shut. I repent in ashes and dust. And similarly, when we read the writings of the Apostle Paul in Romans Romans chapter Mm 9, right? What does he say? Who are you, uh, Potter, to speak back to the creator? He's actually appealing to the same principle, which, you know, obviously we don't want to give that answer for anyone that for everyone that asks why because i think there are answers that we can really think and meditate upon just as you have mentioned but ultimately we're going to hit kind of this tension point where we have to recognize that we are not god we do not know what he knows and at some point we are just going to have to trust that he has a greater plan and purpose that he has not revealed to us but because he is good because he is all knowing because he is sovereign because he is everything the bible says that he is Everything that is happening is happening for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And of course, that's Romans 8, 28. Yeah, that's a great point. And, and I mean, that's where we have to get to, right? So, we see the God who does all these unexplainable, miraculous things. And, and if we just, you know, reason that out a little bit, you know, would we, would we want to assume that this God who created the universe can do all those things, but he couldn't get me to Alaska if he wanted to, you, right. you know, what, whatever it is. And so, um, and, and I, I like your point that it's not that we would challenge everyone who says, why does this happen or why does that happen in with, with a harsh, strong, negative way. Uh, there are legitimate questions when I think we approach it from, uh, from the heart 
that desires to know and understand who God is for who he says he is. Um, but then we, we do have another group of people who, if we're, I, I think, right, the issue is that they want to be God. Um, and so they challenge God's sovereignty because what they see happening is not what they think. Um, is supposed to be happening. And here's the reality. If, if we're judging things around us um, as, well, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll quote, uh, I, I think I referenced this on the last time we did a lady on Twitter that said she just, you know, couldn't believe in a God that wouldn't allow for freedom of abortion. Um, well, she wants to be God, right? She's judged. She's judged God as being right. wrong, um, and, and so we, we need to guard against that kind of thing. And there's a whole segment of professing believers that fall in that category. And I, and I say professing because, you know, I think evangelicalism has gotten so muddied in our culture that you can have, well, evangelicals for abortion, for homosexuality, for yeah. same-sex attractions, um, you know, for all kind of stuff where they would profess Christianity and, and yet they're very far from Christian. And actually just as a short rabbit trail, let, let me read, uh, I'm, and I'm not going to mention their name. This is not necessary, but I want to read just something I found on Twitter from an extremely popular so-called Christian. And, And this is the kind of person that actually does question and judge God's sovereignty. Just listen to a couple of these statements that she makes. She says, since conservative Christians keep coming at me here, I'm a Christian and I believe proselytizing is violence against another. Okay, so remember this, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. so you know where I'm going, right? Okay, so automatically she's, I mean, directly against scripture. All right, I'm a Christian and I believe LGBTQ people are divine and should lead us. Divine? Okay, I'm a Christian and I learn a lot from people who do not share my faith. Um, I'm a Christian and I don't go to church so much for not forsaking the gathering of the brethren. I'm a Christian and I don't believe, no, here it is. I don't believe the Bible is the word of God. Now, uh, that will always come up with people who question God and judge his own rules and ways and motives. And so, uh, I mean, this is why we have to be in our Bible and not just be in our Bible because, you know, this particular person can quote scripture to you. But I think I said to her at some stage, well, Satan can quote scripture as well. Um, right. You know, and so we, we have to approach scripture with the belief that it is authoritative, that it is sufficient, that it is inerrant. It's why we yes. teach those things. If you don't believe that, then why are you a Christian? I mean, right. who wants to serve a God where you define who and what God is and does? I. Just not call yourself a Christian and, you know, go back to old Egyptian days and call yourself God, because that's effectively exactly. what it is. Um, yeah, and, and we, we, need, we need a gold standard of truth, right? I mean, so mm-hmm. we know that Satan is operating in the world still. He is a deceiver. 
He is operating from the inside. In fact, uh, earlier today on Twitter, I had quoted something out of Second Corinthians that talks about how Satan is an angel of light and his mm. servants are, they disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. So, they're not disguised in these silly red outfits or these monstrous looking uniforms. They're disguised to look like someone within the church. They're disguised to look like godly people. And so, that's why we have so much mayhem from within the church. And that's why there's so much disagreement on even just core Christian doctrines, uh, just yeah. the core things that I think every, everyone needs to believe in order to consider themselves a Christian. The reason why there's so much confusion is because Satan is right in the church and we are failing, and I don't say you and me, but really overall the church is failing to recognize who is the true and, and who are the false um, just by their mm -hmm. confession. And so, if we are in a world where there is so much deception, then I think it stands to reason that God will give us some way of being able to discern truth from error. And if it's based upon our feelings or experiences, we're going to be in deep trouble because you get exactly what you just read. You get people putting themselves on the throne of God, dictating to us what they think is righteous. And in dictating what they think is righteous, they're actually mentioning things that are unrighteous. You know, so that's why we have um, Acts chapter 17, verses 10 and 11, the noble Bereans, mm. right? God calls the Bereans noble. Why? Because even the great apostle Paul was not to be taken simply at his word, but they were to be received and then examined by the scriptures carefully you know, to see if these things are so. And that, that should be the case for everyone that we listen to, whether it's you or me, John MacArthur, whoever your favorite yeah. pastors or preachers are, no one is above that gold standard. Because if the Apostle Paul was not above it, then mm -hmm. none of us are above it. And so, we have the gold standard. We always bring things back to Scripture, but yeah. we can't do it unless those three legs that I often refer to that you mentioned, we're talking about the authority of Scripture, we're talking about the sufficiency of Scripture, and we're talking about the inerrancy of Scripture. Mm -hmm. Those three are the pillars that uphold Scripture when we read it. We recognize that this truly is God's Word, and we believe it, and we use it to gauge whether what we hear from other people is true or not. Yeah, I, that's a good point, brother. And, you know, it's interesting because that, it, it just occurred to me, and I don't know why I haven't thought this before, but when thinking about Paul and his, um, it, it, talking about how the Bereans were more noble than those in Thessalonica, he, the, the, the point is that they, one, that they didn't just take the Apostle Paul's word for. It. And I mean, that is a great point. I mean, this is the Apostle Paul um, in whom most of us, right? If, if we could sit under him for an hour or something, you know, right. it's like, uh, you know, if you disturb me, I, I, I don't know, I, the, the Apostle Paul's here and we would just eat it up. And yet um, being an apostle, he accredited nobility, righteousness, goodness to those who, received what he taught gladly right. and and the second thing is they he he didn't he didn't say they were noble because they judged based on their own opinion it was because they went to the gold standard as you've called it they judged based on scripture and it, i mean that's got to be where we are as believers and we might not know where it is or what the answer but if something comes up and we disagree with it Right. Our 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 internal response ought to be, well, what does scripture say? Right. Um, right. Right. Before I ever look it up, it doesn't matter if I like it or I don't like it. So, you know, if someone wants to talk to me about I try to pick a relatively non issue, um, 
Okay, well, I'll pick immigration, for instance. Um, Someone wants to argue from a Christian perspective on immigration, what the U.S. should do. Well, before I look at any of that, my heart should be, well, I want to be in agreement with whatever Scripture has to say if it speaks to that subject. And before I look at anything, um, my heart, I'm willing to conform to whatever that is, if my feelings about it are different. Um, right. and, and if we start from that perspective, I mean, that, that's just a mark of, of maturity as, of a mature Christian as we grow and having confidence in God and his word. But if we start from that, then we can sort through the, the difficult feelings when they challenge us. Because I, I think sometimes we fall into the trap of just assuming we're going to agree uh, in in our flesh, ev- with everything uh, that we read in Scripture, that we're never going to be challenged, and if it's something we don't like, then it must not be God, right? Yeah. But that would assume, right? That the presumption is that you're already perfectly renewed, right? right. That you're already perfectly sanctified. Um, I I can't think of anything at the top of my head right now that challenges me in Scripture, but um, I I would be concerned if I am never again challenged on a position, (laughs) right? Right. Because it probably – yeah, go go ahead, brother. Yeah, we we don't want to live in an echo chamber um, where people are just – we don't want to surround ourselves, especially as pastors. We don't want to surround ourselves with simply yes men who say yes to everything that we say, but rather men who are going to – Make sure that they understand biblically where you're getting your wisdom, mm-hmm. where you're putting forth your principles, and we'll challenge you on that. You know, within my church, and I'm sure you do the same thing, I've had people that have disagreed with something that I taught, and they'll come to me and they'll tell me why they disagree. And rather than getting upset or rather than getting offended, I'm actually thankful for those people, even though I may not um, always agree with the point that they're making. It's an opportunity to sit down and really talk mm-hmm. through what the scriptures say. And so I always encourage those individuals that thank you for doing this, because I would rather if, if there's a disagreement, if there's something that you think that I'm in which I'm teaching against what the Bible says, I much rather you actually come to me, open your mouth and talk to me about it than to keep it to yourself and just think that there is a disagreement between us. But that also brings the point, I would say, of the purpose of the church. You quoted that mm. that lady who's said that we don't need to attend a church. We don't need to be a part of a gathering, but we are saved into the body of Christ. Scriptures Mm -hmm. are very explicit for that. The gifts given to the church are gifts given for the purpose of the church. And Ephesians chapter four, verse 11 talks about how God, Jesus Christ specifically, gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers for the building up of the body, Mm -hmm. for the work of service, um, to to build up the body to mature manhood. So we see that in in Ephesians, and there is no doctrine or theology that we can really pull out of the New Testament that is separated from the church. So I'm, I'm bringing up this point for this reason, that we are meant to grow in our knowledge of God alongside with the church. We're not meant to just be in our own cave, read through it once and say, I got it. I've, I've got the truth. Everyone else is wrong. Because quite frankly, we, though we are regenerative hearts, um, though we are given the mind of, of God mm-hmm. through the Holy Spirit, we still are weak in our flesh. And yeah. we need the training, the whole reason why Jesus Christ gives the gifts of pastors and teachers, the whole reason why Timothy was Paul's successor, not as an apostle, but someone who would preach the word, mm-hmm. is that we need to hear the word over and over again. But we need to hear it from mature, godly men who have grown in the faith so that they may help to sharpen the areas that we need to be sharpened. And likewise, not 
hold them up to the gold standard, but hold them up to the gold standard of Scripture. They're not the gold standard. Scripture is. So, we, we operate within the church. And, and one more thing that just came to mind, you had mentioned how today we're not in an age where people use logic, where people think. And one of the differences between our faith and a cult is that our faith, we encourage everyone who listens to us to double-check everything we're saying according to the gold standard of truth. A cult teaches you to accept what is being said and don't question it. Yeah, we are, we encourage people to question it, but we want people to question it with the trust and the faith that these scriptures are the gold standard. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's good stuff, Eki. And uh, you know, I thinking about all this, uh, you know, the sovereignty of God. Uh, I almost forgot. I wanted to bring up something that stirred up a little bit of stuff because um, you know I'm no. I, I have no fear of controversy, yeah. uh, but actually, it, uh, John MacArthur he said something that got a little bit of traction. Uh, was it last week or the week before? I, I forget. But he was talking about um, democracy and yeah. monarchies, and right. uh, man, um, it, it, people did not like that. And it, you know, it, but it just it brought up to me. So if you're unfamiliar with the comment, you know, basically he said that uh, democracy, which is not what we are, but anyway, democracy is not something that you find in scripture. Um, yeah. There's always been kings, and that was the way it was set up. And God is our king, right? And um, so I'll paraphrase. Basically, you know, if it falls apart here, so what? Um, right. but, but it's interesting because uh, even that. Right. The the more you understand the sovereignty of God, you can hear something like that, which, by the way, I agree with him wholeheartedly on yeah. on those things. But you can hear something like that and be challenged. And yet you can say, well, if that's how God decides to do it, he's sovereign uh, and that's fine. Right. I, it might not be my human preference. And I think that's yeah. OK to say. Right. As long as we recognize that my preference is not always the greatest good. Uh, in fact, oftentimes it's probably not the greatest good. Um, but, and it, so it's okay to acknowledge those things, but I, I think it changes how we view things like that. Um, and, and other things, it, you know, just as some of the stuff I was reading there, um, I, I have no problem if someone is offended by the fact that homosexuality is sinful before God. Uh, I, I, I'm just a messenger, you know, um, I have no problem if people are angry over the fact that, um, you know, there's no such thing as a quote-unquote woman pastor. I, I didn't make the rules. And to rebel against those things is, in fact, to rebel against God. And while – and actually, let's just take that one, Eki, because in my younger years, when I first came out of the charismatic church, I leaned more towards – um, the question of, well, why can't women be pastors? Why can't women preach? I mean, look, the charismatic church, it, it, everything goes, basically. Um, and at the beginning, when I really started searching that in the scripture, um, I had a hard time with that as a young man, right? Because now I look back and the reality is because I was more affected by the culture than I was the scripture. Um, and, and now, at the end of the day, um, after you know, years and years of digging into God's word, you think, well, it's really not a big deal. 
um, our, our sinful world wants to make it an issue of equality, but that's not true, right? We're equal before God. Uh, we just have different roles. Um, up until, I don't know, a few years, I would have said a, a man just can't have a baby if he wants to. Now the world is telling you that they can. Right. Um you know, science isn't even real science anymore. But so all that to, to kind of say, uh, it, the, the greater grasp we have on God's sovereignty, I, I think in all areas of life, it gives us stability. It gives us peace. And I, I want to read, I, I want to read the Romans eight twenty eight passage that you mentioned earlier, because I think a lot of lovely, well-meaning, God-fearing Christians um, who just maybe haven't developed good, solid disciplines of reading their Bible and studying in prayer yet, are right now feeling a lot of anxiety, a lot of stress, feeling lost in a sense because they're looking around at the world and maybe they don't have a great grasp of what it means that God is sovereign, although they would affirm the truth. Um, but because of God's sovereignty, things like that passage you read um, have, have even greater meaning, I think. So I'll just read it. It says 828, and you quoted it earlier. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And the reason God's sovereignty matters with a verse like that is since God is sovereign, he can't renege on that promise. Since God is sovereign, no one can thwart that promise. And so regardless of how bad things get here, we know that all of these things that are meant from evil will ultimately work out for good. And we can trust God because he's sovereign uh, in the midst of all this stuff. Amen and amen. And when I think about people who are in control and they put plans together, what is the reason why they would have to change plans? Well, they would have to change plans because there were unexpected circumstances that came up. With God, there are no unexpected circumstances. There is no plan B or plan C or alternative um, plans or exception handling in computer terms. There's none of that. You know, there is his plan that he had put forth from eternity past, and mm -hmm. it's going to be carried out. And when we talk about the sovereignty of God, I, I think you have to ultimately take it all the way to the cross. Because when we think about the death of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. God had ordained that His Son would be made into human flesh mm. and would submit to Him and obey and humble Himself and obey to the point of death, even death on a cross. And when we think about the greatest evil of mankind, the greatest mm. evil of mankind were those who unrighteously sentenced Jesus Christ to the cross. And yet, at the same time, that greatest act of evil on the part of the men who were involved yeah. was also the greatest act of love, grace, and mercy. Mm. Now, there's a flip side to this as well, that for us to be saved, that was actually an act of righteousness because that had to pay for our sins. But when we think about evil of mankind and why does God mm. allow people to do these things, well, the greatest man ever to walk this planet, the Son of God in human flesh himself, was sent to the cross mm. despite being perfectly righteous in every single way. And the book of Acts, when Peter gives that uh, message to those who are listening, well, what does he tell him? He said, the, the one that God had foreordained, um, mm. you killed, you sent him to the cross. Mm. And so maybe the follow-up to this for our next message is really going to be the responsibility of man within the um, sovereignty of God and maybe talking about theodicy a little bit. But all that to say that when 
we think about the sovereignty of God, we have to recognize that it was the sovereignty of God that led to our salvation mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, that's a great point, and that's a great biblical example that lets us see in a very real way how God uses evil uh, for to accomplish His plans and purposes. Yeah, absolutely, no greater evil than those who, um, yeah, those who executed Christ, um, and yet that was God's foreordained way, right? That Christ should be crucified by the, at the hands of evil men for the sake of the salvation of many, and and so we we don't get the luxury of seeing like that as things uh, happen in our lives all the time. Now, often, you know, in in five, ten, you know, years, you can look back hindsight and you can say, oh yeah, I see God's providence there. I see, I can yeah. see some a glimpse of what God was doing. Um, and, and so, uh, but it brings us back to having such a firm trust in the sovereignty of God. And because he's sovereign, he keeps those promises. Well, just as you said here, uh, we think about the perseverance of the saints, right? Right. Um, God has promised that his, those who follow him, right? Uh, the, the flock of God will persevere to the end. And I don't have to worry about that. Someone's going to come and snatch me away right? Uh, Unbeknownst to him out of his control. Why? Because he's sovereign and I can trust that promise. And, you know, I want to end on just a couple other points uh, and and we'll we'll wrap this up shortly, but, uh, and I want to bring it back to giving, uh, you know, I like to do implication, but I like to do, I I personally enjoy bringing some practical application for folks, if I can, as time, uh, as the times we go through permit that sort of thing. it, you know, I, well, let me just read the passage first, and then you'll know exactly where I'm going with this. Romans 5, 3 through 5, again, um, demonstrating how God works in hardships. I mean, the Apostle Paul says, and not only this, but we exult in our tribulations. I mean, when's the last time you've heard a believer say something like, oh, man, yes, this is going to be a great four years, <laughs> right? I, I have not heard much of that, uh, but I'll continue on. But we, we also exult in our tribulations knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. Perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of, of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So, there is a redemptive side for believers in all trials and tribulations and hardships. And man, only a sovereign God can take something evil, a tribulation, a persecution, and, and say that for you, this is the end, that it produces hope. Amen. Amen. And when we, even when we think about the Romans 8.28 passages you read, the very next verse, verse 29, talks about how God predestined us to become conformed Mm. into the image of his son, which is an incredible promise for those who are saved because who, what Christian do you know would not want to be more like Christ? Of course, all of us would like to be more like Christ. I would question the salvation of anyone who didn't want to be more like Christ. Well, God uses all circumstances, even the difficulties and especially the difficulties, even the trials, especially the trials to make us more like his son. And you're right that Romans 5 passages powerful because we don't think about rejoicing in our tribulation. But Paul says it um, also, actually, Peter says it in 1 Peter chapter 1. Mm-hmm. James says it um, in, in his letter as well. So, we see it all over the scriptures, this recognition 
that God is actually glorifying himself just by his work in us as we endure these trials and tribulations. And and the fact that when we look at the original, you know, the 12 (laughs) apostles, I mean, all of them were martyred except for John. And John ended up his life, um, you know, stranded, abandoned, and alone in a, in a prison on Patmos. Yeah. And so, they they understood that their life here was not about health, wealth, and prosperity. It was not about your best life now, but it was completely about looking forward to your best life when Jesus comes back. And so, yeah. our job now is simply to trust God, to glorify Him, to seek to grow, to be like Christ, and to be willing to stand firm in His truth, no matter what the world may bring to us. And God will use that to glorify Himself just for the sake of being able to endure much like Job did, but also for the sake of testimony. Um, that's going to give us an opportunity to give a defense for the hope that is within us, First Peter chapter 3, verse 15. And so, yeah. we, we know those truths are, um, are, are true. We know that um, they serve, as you mentioned, a redemptive purpose. Um, God has a plan through it all. And we ultimately, we anchor our hope in Christ and all the promises there in the future because our heaven is not now. Our heaven is in the future. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think we maybe American Christianity is a little too American. Um, it, you know, we've, we've forgotten the, the promises, okay, promises of suffering. Pick up your cross, right? I mean, he, he didn't mean a styrofoam cross that you can <laughs> shove in your right front pocket, right? That cross was burdensome and heavy and torturous. Um, and, and I mean, and I think, you know, also sometimes we, you know, Jesus, they hated when they hate you, remember that they hated me first. The most loving, okay, listen to this, all you liberals that might be listening. Uh, the most loving man who ever lived was hated and uh, suffered persecution and was ultimately crucified. So we are never going to get to the place where the world loves us. Um, certainly if Christ, who did everything in the, the, the best way, the most perfect way, the most loving way, couldn't win the world's favor, then why on earth am I thinking I'm going to? Um, and, and then we have all the promises of persecution, of suffering. Now, I, I will say I am thankful, truly thankful, that um, you know America has enjoyed such freedoms um, in, with Christianity. But I, I also wonder if this just isn't long overdue. Um, the, the church, I think, has forgotten to fight uh, in, in a good, righteous way. I, and I, I think we have, you know, we've given mental assent to the promises of hardships and persecution, um, and, and we've never experienced it. And so, well, we know because God's sovereign uh, that we're going through what we're going through right now. Um, and I, I can tell you one thing I know. I know because of biblical history that God is purifying his church. Um, I know for sure uh, that in the midst of this, God is tearing down um, strongholds, right? Ungodly belief systems. I mean, just look at the, um, the charismatic church. The word of faith, prosperity gospel has been decimated in in. In reality, Justin Peters just released a four-hour video mm. on YouTube going going through this past year and that sort of thing. And not only that, I mean, just look at um, the liberalized, you know, Christianity that's been exposed. 
the godlessness in the church. And, and let me be quick to say that the church is a beautiful, wonderful, spotless bride, uh, but we know that the tares and the wheat grow up together. Um, but God's purifying the church, and we should rejoice in that. And yeah. in fact, um, you know, if, if God had to utterly destroy America so that it didn't even look like what we think it looked like, but he destroyed the word of faith, prosperity, gospel, all that nonsense with it, then I'll, you know, I'll, I'll be a slave tomorrow. You know, absolutely. God bless. Let's Amen. do it. Um, and, and that was Paul, the Apostle Paul. I, I'm just so enamored by Paul's humility uh, by Paul's faith and trust and understanding in the sovereignty of God. I mean, he goes through that whole list where he's been shipwrecked and he's, you yeah. know, spent nights in the deep and he's been hungry and he's been Amen. cold. He was whipped three times, I think, less uh, one less 40 lashes. He was stoned. Look, the guy was stoned, got thrown out of the city, uh, got better enough to then go back into the same city, right? Um, only... Amazing. Only someone who is sure of the purposes and promises of God is sure of the power of the gospel unto salvation could do such of those things. And I pray that um, in, in this season, whatever it looks like under an administration that is just defies God in every way, I pray uh, that the church comes out of this in four years, eight years, 16 years, um, I don't know that we're going to have we're going to go backwards in terms of less sinfulness, but man, I, I pray that we just see the church grow in bounds and leaps in purity. I think we'll see it in number, um, and I think there'll be a time where when someone says they're Christian, it, they'll be Christian uh, because it's going to yeah. cost to say that. And I I look I look forward to those times while not necessarily wanting to go through what it would take to get there. We can do those two things at the same time. Uh, it, it, do you want to end us out, brother? Any final thoughts? Uh, anything? Well, no, and I, I love the example that you gave of Paul and, and his life that he lived out and the persecution that he was so willing to suffer. And it's amazing you're talking about a, you know, the Hebrew of Hebrews. You know, he was a superstar within the Pharisaical ranks. And what did he suffer for? He suffered for the sake of the gospel to Gentiles whom he probably previously had despised um, as, as a Pharisee. And so his testimony is amazing, but I, I love what he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and I want to say verse 17, I might have that wrong, but chapter, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, when he says that um, these these light and minor afflictions, he calls everything he's going through as a light and minor affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory. Mm. And so, he, he is really looking at his afflictions and saying, this is nothing compared to what we have awaiting us. And I pray yeah. that that would be all of our mindset. And to your point, um, God is purifying the church. Peter says, judgment begins in the household of God. And I believe that's exactly what's happening. And we want to get to a point where saying that you're a Christian actually means something. So, mm. I'm with you, brother. Amen. Well, thank you again, Eki, for joining us. We appreciate you. I love you, brother. I love you, too. And guys, thank you for tuning in today. Remember that we are pilgrims passing through, leaving the city of destruction on a journey to the celestial city. So keep our eyes on Christ. Keep our heads and our minds uh, focused on Scripture. And until next time, let the truth be known. The Truth Be Known podcast is a theologically driven, gospel-centered program serving the body of Christ 
by bringing biblical truth to bear on issues facing the church today. Subscribe to the Truth Be Known podcast by using the podcast app on your Apple or Android device or listen online at strivingforeternity.org in the podcast section.